If you're a movie collector, you need Movies Anywhere. It pulls your favorite purchase movies from participating digital retailers into one central place. So you can finally say goodbye to scattered movie collections and hello to an organized library. With Movies Anywhere, you can watch your favorite movies on any compatible device whenever and wherever you want. Ready to grow and enjoy your digital collection? Visit MoviesAnywhere.com slash welcome and register for free. Registration with Movies Anywhere required. Open to U.S. residents 13 and over. Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately. Hey everyone, this is the Almost World Podcast. Bringing to you mind-blowing interviews with guests from all over the world. So settle down, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh yeah, by the way, if you like the podcast, please support Elmo's World Podcast on Patreon. Your support is what helps the podcast improve more and more. Welcome to Elmo's World Podcast. This is Elmo, your host, and I'm here with my awesome friend, Ante. Hey man, can you... uh, introduce yourself yeah hi Elmo uh, sorry Elmo uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show um, my name is Ante I'm from Croatia um, my although my formal training lies in history uh, some five years ago I started to be quite interested or six years ago I started to be quite interested in philosophy of religion in some general topics in metaphysics about causation about Mariology and so on um, also, uh, my interest lies in uh, Buddhist philosophy, in Catholic theology, in the Catholic-Protestant debate of some sort, um, evolution and creation, and all of those hot topics out there yeah, related to theology. Well, can you talk about uh, um, what you do right now specifically? Are you a student or study, still studying? Or, or what do you do for work? And what are you like your projects, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a student uh, right now. I have a BA in history. I'm now actually a postgraduate uh, st- graduate student. Sorry. Um, my pro. I mean, I have. I'm just doing my uh, casual work. Uh, I like um, doing my exams, preparing for um, preparing for them. I mean, I have some projects I'm doing right now. That is, I have I have a project in mind with a professor of mine who is um, who is at the University of Munich. Uh, we are going to uh, write something about um, the old cult of the god Amun in ancient Egyptian theology in the Theban the- theology. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm also I have a fiance. I'm 25 years old, and yeah, that that's pretty much it. Well. Uh, can you talk about like your, your journey? You know, f- I guess from the time that you realized or you a- you started asking the big questions, 
and then talk about what you've become or where you, where the the roads you've taken and and basically the sort of the milestones of of your worldview and 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 how you've arrived to where you are right now sure so i was i grew up in a pretty much pious catholic home like my parents were both traditional pious catholics uh, and I, I mean as a child i was always like asking those questions like why is there anything at all why is reality as as it is in a way uh, i kind of when i when i was a teenager i started to uh, see religion as a superstition I didn't like to go to mass anymore. I was kind of not so much interested in Christianity as such. I simply I saw it as as a phase of my life, and I'm that I'm currently not in. Like I'm I overgrow Christianity in some in some sort. This was actually this was my perception as a teenager. Um, then I I started to well engage in some pretty bad atheist literature like that, like Dawkins and, and Co. Uh, Hitchens. And, uh, I think Hitchens was even alive back then. So I started to have some kind of anti-religious feelings and in general an anti-religious attitude as such. Um, and well, I kind of then shifted to agnosticism in my high school years. Um, I started to see some merit in, in a, in a I don't know, in pantheism and so on. Also, my ethics changed a little bit. Like, I was not, I was not religious back then, but I started to see um, some issues with, I mean, like with the pro-choice, uh, um, um, like, direction when it comes to the issue of abortion and so on. So I was kind of shifting a bit to this, um, to this more... Um, theistic worldview, but I wasn't there yet, because I, I was I was not satisfied with the atheism I had back then. Um, then my interest after high school uh, went to Buddhism. I have no idea actually how it came to this. I just I just know that I, w I was kind of reading Buddhist literature, and I'm not saying I'm not speaking about those um, really nearly new age stuff out there that pretends to be Buddhism but it isn't. I'm actually really uh, like talking about Buddhist philosophy. I started to be uh, like a practicing Buddhist. I was I was reading. I was trying to practice a kind of Zen Buddhism. Um, also engaging in Buddhist philosophy as such as well. Um, but then my um, when I was in when I was in college, like when I was um, in the second year of college, my I was kind of unsatisfied with the Buddhist outlook on reality. And there, there was some. I mean, I can talk about this, but there were there were core cool problems with two main doctrines of Buddhism, the Anatta and the Shunyata doctrine. Um, I was kind of shifting towards either back, either in full-fledged atheism or into some kind of theism. I wasn't sure what my thinking is led, letting, lending me. So, um, well, I, I kind of also, I, I was kind of thinking about atheism um, or naturalism, like Graham Opie kind of naturalism, like a full-fledged metaphysical uh, um, position. Um, but I wasn't actually satisfied with this. Uh, I was also wasn't satisfied with reductionism when it comes to philosophy of mind. So all of those issues, uh, which I was perceiving from a standpoint of a naturalist, uh, were kind of like murky in my eyes. I, I didn't actually... 
I was trying to find some worldview that would fit all the intuitions I have. I didn't find it in Buddhism. I didn't find it in naturalism. I started to uh, read um, philosophers like, I don't know, like Valicella, like um, James Erich, Jacques Maritain, for example. He was the first Catholic philosopher I ever read. Um, and then I came across like Daniel von Wachter, Kuhns, Pras, Rasmussen, all of, all of those uh, guys in the Christian team, so to say, uh, if you know what I mean. And, well, my, my thinking shifted, like, on many issues. Uh, I didn't, I, I saw that there are some solutions when it comes to the evolution and creation debate. Um, it was really a great problem for me, actually, to accept Christianity as such, as a coherent worldview. Um, also, I saw, I mean, I wasn't actually sold by any... A particular argument for theism and such, I only saw that many of them actually point to something like both the five ways, both the Leibnizian arguments using the PSR, uh, either the strong or the soft version of the PSR, um, or like the Kalam or fine-tuning arguments, all of them when actually were not um, I, was not, I wasn't satisfied by, by them in a way that, okay, that proves my, that proves theism, like, it's, it's, certain, it's, it's certain that theism is true because of those arguments, but they pointed me to um, a new kind of metaphysics, you know, um, a more open, meta I, I, was, I was getting to be more open to the existence of God. Also, I was starting to, I, I was starting to think, like, what is it that, what the, the Christians actually kind of believe? Why do they believe in Christ? Why? Why do they believe in this, in this zombie-like figure? Figure. This, this was my per perception back then. Um, that resurrected from the dead. And why? Why? Why is that such? Why are there such beliefs? Um, then I was starting to investigate um, Christian Christianity as such. The Christian sources, namely the Gospels, the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and yeah, you know, and. The thing is, I, I realized I have never, I was actually never kind of fair from a historian, historical standpoint towards those documents. I always treated them as kind of mythological literature, but they didn't present themselves as such. I was also encountering the, role, the work of Lydia McGrew. Um, she also influenced me to some extent. Um, and yeah, I, I gradually came to Christianity, gradually I gradually kind of found myself in the position where I no longer held any naturalistic beliefs. I mean, I no longer held the opinion that one can describe reality in solely a naturalistic fashion, or at least that such a description of reality, such a perception of it, has some problems or, or isn't intuitive enough for me. Um, I also... Uh, I also abandoned Buddhism. It, it, I saw it, it has unsurpassable problems. And, well, yeah, I was kind of open to Christianity. Then, of course, you know, uh, if you accept Christianity, you get on this road like, okay, which version of Christianity should I accept? Like, what should be doctrinally binding? for me, like what, is, what are the essential beliefs and so on. I was of course drawn to Protestantism uh, because of its, you know, like in Protestantism it's just me, the Bible, and you know, there is no authority 
bigger than myself. That, that's what I thought, at least. I mean, many Protestants would disagree with this, of course, but I, I mean, I have my reasons to think that Protestantism actually boils down to this kind of, of this kind of, you know, epistemology, like I am my own pope. But then I soon realized that that's not going to, like, it's that's not going to work. And, well, uh, my journey led me back to Catholicism as kind of the only plausible, um, the only plausible um, worldview uh, if Christianity is true, that is. So, yeah, I mean, I can unpack many of the many of this stuff. Sorry if that's too general. But, yeah. No, it's awesome, yeah. But don't you think it's kind of funny, right? Like, um, you sort of left home and journeyed throughout the world to find the answers, and, and you found the answers at home, at, at being a Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> I was also I was also at some point looking into into orthodoxy Eastern orthodoxy uh, because of the beauty of the liturgy, uh, liturgy. I mean I'm, I'm still my heart is still in the Byzantine Catholic rite you know but I also saw some problems in orthodoxy as well I mean especially often encountering the works of uh, Lofton and Ibarra and so I mean they are kind of popular in the Orthodox versus Catholic debate of today. But then, yeah, ultimately, I just I just found my way back home, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's my first question, right? Like, uh, when it came to, be, be, you know, you said that you, would gr you were gradually becoming a theist. And, but you, you said also that you were sort of not satisfied with the, with the arguments like the Kalam, the Leibnizian, the PSR, uh, and the fine tuning, but, but how did you find yourself like a, a one day, oh, I'm a theist, you know, but you, you, you do, you did also realize that there were sort of indicating that, that all indicating that God is, is real. But what really made it clear to you that, oh man, I'm a theist, you know, you just woke up and... Uh, sure, I mean, I would just say, uh, first and foremost, we shouldn't actually, like, we shouldn't um, throw it out of the window that a faith is a gift, like it is really a supernatural gift. I'm, I'm bound to believe that as a Catholic, of course. But yeah, the reason can lead one if one is actually open for this kind of intellectual journey towards uh, theism. Uh, when I say that, um, that I didn't find them satisfying, what I mean is that, you know, take the take Craig's Kalam, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, um, I see the argument, I, I have many, I, I, as soon as I saw the argument, like his Kalam version, I had many, many, many objections, like initial, initial problems, uh, like for uh, for the three premises, especially for the last one. Um, but then, you know, you, you kind of get into all, like, it, it's it's kind of like with arguments, you're not actually buying into an argument. Uh, without buying into uh, the whole metaphysical framework out of which this argument is made. Like, um, you, you cannot just go read uh, read uh, St. Thomas's arguments on, I don't know, on Wikipedia or something, and then they, they will, like, sound convincing to you. No, no, they, they won't. You have to actually dig into... Uh, uh, this particular metaphysics 
and then see if this metaphysical uh, worldview is actually it's holding up. And then you can go back to the arguments and see if, if they are kind of satisfactory to you. And this is what I actually, I mean, those arguments didn't actually kind of change my mind immediately. They just... It just kind of like irritated my mind. Like, okay, there, I mean, surely there has to be something more to them. Like, like it's not that. I mean, people like Otterberg or Craig or Locke or I don't know Coons. They believe those things for a reason. Like, I have to just dig a bit more into the metaphysics behind the arguments, you know. And after doing that. Um, I mean, I, I now see what arguments I really, I, I have my favorite arguments, of course, um, or those who fit my intuition the best or those who are the most rigorous or something like that. Uh, but then also you see that what, like, uh, what kind of argumentation is not good or what kind of argumentation is not um, in a way um, satisfactory and so on. And yeah, I mean, gradually, I was digging into the metaphysics, like for example, when it comes to Craig's, to Craig's Kalam, you are digging into um, the issues about infinity, about causal infinitism, uh, about like about issues of time, whether it 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 can actually uh, whether it holds uh, in a B theory of time or is some, or is some other version of um, of a theory of time. What is actually time? And so now, like if you dig into all of those questions. Um, then you can come back and see, okay, yeah, this argument is good, or no, it's not good. Um, so, yeah. I'm okay, so I guess you, when you said that you have to really dig in into a metaphysical framework in order to actually understand and maybe realize for yourself that it could actually be true, right? So, uh, and, and so you looked into the Kalam and all and um, all the all these theist perspectives and maybe atheist perspectives too. So uh, how 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 would I guess like for, for someone like me, you know, I'm not really that uh, familiar with the academic papers or the specific details. But how would you I guess what would be your criteria to to know whether or not a specific metaphysical framework actually. Uh, is actually uh, corresponds to reality, or is like is actually true. Sure. So, well, first and foremost, one needs to ask uh, when one is investigating a, a metaphysical um, view of reality, uh, what are the objections to to it? Like, uh, does it have some problems, or does it have, doesn't doesn't have problems? And then, then you can evaluate the objections for uh, this particular view, see if they actually hold up or not. Like. Are they, uh, can they be answered and can, I mean, you, you actually just gen generally see if the worldview in question is coherent. Uh, then again, um, after this, you actually start to kind of like, you know, you are, you are having this worldview on one hand and this other worldview on the other hand. And then you see, okay, what fits best with my intuitions about about the world? Like, you know, um, is, I mean, if you, if, you are, if you are investigating what time is, and then the Aristotelian comes and says, okay, time is in some way grounded in change. There are many, many different, um, different, um, uh, positions as to what this grounding relation is, is it reducible to change, is it just, you know, and how does it fit with scientific investigations, especially with Einsteinian physics and so on, and then you see uh, another worldview, or for example, when it comes to modality, like, 
if you when you like do you, are you a full fledged realist when it comes to the pop to possible worlds like Lewis uh, was, and then you see okay that's that's kind of had it has its has its own problems uh, as to the grounding and modality and so on. Like you know you are actually just comparing them, seeing the the pro seeing problems uh, in one review, the problems in, in another review, and see like. Uh, like, are they compelling? Are they coherent? Uh, and can one, even if one cannot give answers to all the problems somebody might may pose to your particular worldview, uh, are those questions detrimental? Like, for example, if you have uh, theism and you have the problem of evil, you cannot. I, I myself think that you cannot answer the problem of evil. It's too complicated to even give a coherent answer to it. But then, is it detrimental to theism? Can you come up with something else, like, for example, skeptical theism, like that of uh, Howard Snyder or something like that, or that of um, Michael Syria? So you know, it's kind of like you are just—it's kind of like you do—you evaluate them, you critically evaluate them, see the flaws in them, and then you just see, okay, I'm buying this. Like, you know, this fits with my intuitions. It seems fine. Okay, uh, I, I'm sort of cu curious into how how you define intuitions. What what is intuition? Like, how do you know it is intuition? Can you talk more about that? Sure. Um, so, I mean, um, everybody everybody has a different set of intuitions. Uh, an intuition would be something like you know what um, um, kind of like it's kind of teleological in, 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 in nature, like, what is it that your mind is drawn to? Like, what is it, what does it, um, like, um, you, you, you think about reality, you think about beings in reality, you think about metaphysical principles like existence, like essence, like causation, and so on, and then you, you kind of see, like, okay, what, you, you try to define it in a way that fits either with your empirical observations, I mean, I'm, I'm not meaning by this kind of rigorous scientific observations, though they are also included in this process, but general like phenomenological insights into reality, something that everybody has. And I mean, you can, then you can actually, you can actually then see like... But isn't um, it uh, really uh, subjective though? Like it could be possible that we are all just biologically uh, inclined to have these these intuitions because of our genetics. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know how genetics play a role here. Like, uh, sure, we have intuitions because we are rational creatures. We are rational creatures because we have a kind of rational animal nature, and this nature is grounded in some particular way. Uh, in a kind of evolutionary framework of survival and so on, but first, I'm sure, actually, actually, don't, I don't know um, why would my having an, an intuition about what a substance is or what causation is. I don't know what that has to do with my survival in nature, first and foremost. Um, secondly, sure, uh, intuitions are subjective. Everyone has some intuitions, and we may not even share intuitions. I, I actually. Um, 
I actually know of some case. I mean, I know myself some cases where I was kind of sure that everyone thinks the way I do, and then I, I kind of figured it out. Okay, no, I mean it's not kind of obvious to everyone. Uh, but you know, there are all, all um, there are some principles. As, uh, I mean, there are some fundamental principles. For example, some logical principles or principles of intelligibility, uh, where th those are actually kind of shared you know, among many subjects. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, you have all the conclusions can be subjective. You have philosophers who are, I mean, who are, uh, I mean, I don't know, Opie is as smart as, I don't know, Pras or Locke or Gale, but they share some different intuitions, for example. But um, one actually can also do a retrospective uh, view of one's intuitions, like see, okay, um, do I have some kind of bias here? Um, am I actually biased to favor some particular outcome, or some particular view, some particular belief, and so on? Like, um, I'm not actually saying that my intuitions are the only thing that I'm not an animal, like they're not the only thing that actually um, is guiding me when it comes to metaphysical reasoning, but they have, they play some prominent role in it. Like, I mean, uh, in my deconversion from Buddhism, for example, um, the intuition of me having a self, for example, uh, was kind of enough to start me thinking about, about it deeper, like I realized because of my intuition that there were some problems in, for example, the Buddhist doctrine of anatta, and then I started to see, okay, what to do next, how do I critically evaluate that, and or not, and so on, like, you know, intuitions are here to begin with, but, yeah, they have some role in your reasoning, but Mm -hmm. So I guess it, like it's the question like which came first, the object of my intuitions or or me having the ability to have these intuitions. So yeah, okay. Yeah. So so I guess like it, it, it's basically that you we, we, what you're saying is that we have these intuitions because of what where the object of our intuitions are like intrinsic in nature already, and we're we're and we may have just evolved to be. Uh, sort of inclined to have these intuitions, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, it's it's kind of like um, people, I mean, I know some philosophers, but also people in general, I mean, uh, bring this up like, you know, um, evolution kind of explains away some for some uh, phenomena. I mean, it's not true. Like, it's it's the same thing with intuition. So the same thing with kind of like some beliefs and so on. Like, you know, you have uh, you have some uh, some streams in in the 19th century that wanted to eliminate religious belief by uh, by reducing it to some impulses that we have. You know, like, okay, religion doesn't make sense because we evolved uh, in a way that uh, that prefers religious people to irreligious people or superstitious people to not superstitious people and so on. Then also in the 19th century, you have some streams which say, which say it otherwise. Like, no, because religion is grounded in the evolutionary process, that means that it has to be true in some way or in some form of fashion. Like, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not, I don't like this kind of reductive 
I mean, yeah, we should be we should be aware that evolution and genetics and so on plays a role uh, when it comes to our reasoning, when it comes to our biases, our intuitions, and so on. But you know, there is something inherent in our mind, which because our mind has a rational nature, it is our rational nature, our capacity to think, um, and not only to have some kind of to have a way, an animalistic way of perception and so on, uh, that we have some intuitions. They can be wrong, of course. They can lead us to, lo to wrong conclusions, of course. I could be, for example, um, I can be wrong when it comes to uh, my belief that if you have, I don't know, if you have an infinite chain of uh, contingent beings, then you need to preside some explanation for why the chain exists. Hume may disagree. His intuition may say that, no, you don't have it. You don't have to have, you don't have to preside uh, this kind of explanation because every every link in the chain is explained right away. Uh, and then our intuitions are in a clash here. But then um, I might say, okay, good, fine, but you are wrong because of this and that. And, you know, like, it's, it's a way, it's something inherent in our mind. It can lead us astray, but, you know, it's, as I said, it's kind of teleological, something, yeah, essential to the way we are. Well, when it comes to the, what you said about the detrimental objections, right? Um, and I guess you, you have evaluated and considered most of the objections that, that come your way. And that's why you, you sort of have a confidence in being a theist, right? So, uh, like, can you tell me, I guess, like, what's the closest uh, arguments against uh, theism that you find would be most detrimental as an objection? Sure. Um, so... In a way, so I, I'm actually categorizing those arguments in arguments that criticize uh, um, criticize theism in a way that I mean those in arguments that say that we don't actually have any good reason to even entertain theism as a genuine possibility, you know, and arguments that are really criticizing theism as such. Uh, and here I, I'm, my, I have in my mind um, arguments about the incoherence of the concept of God, for example, um, or um, the problem of evil. I mean, I actually think that most theistic philosophers, if you press them, uh, in, like if you, if you kind of like, I don't know, if you ask them, uh, what is your argument that is the most, it is the toughest one? when it comes to atheistic objections to theism, it would actually be, I think, either the hiddenness problem, the divine hiddenness problem, or the problem of evil, which I actually perceive to be um, two aspects of the same problem. Um, yeah. When it comes to the first category, and those are like arguments uh, that preside some alternative explanation, for example, uh, I mean, or like for those uh, reasons that theists uh, say we need to kind of like have God in order to explain this or that aspect of reality and so on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But well, you also mentioned that you, a metaphysical framework has to have coherence. So here's the thing, right? When it comes to theism, there are so many things that uh, that you know we just leave to the 
to to the unknown you know and we i guess we call them sort of mysteries but let's say you know you also mentioned the incoherence of the concept of god right and the thing is like we as as christians you know we might or theists we might attempt to to be able to to explain away and uh and a coherent concept of God, but it's just impossible, I think, on 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 how I look at it. But how would you, I guess, consider the concept of God as as coherent? If in in fact there are things that we cannot know about God's true nature, full nature. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, when it comes to this question, I always tend to be less mysterian than I think most Christians. I mean, I mean, maybe because this is maybe one reason why I'm drawn to the Catholic faith and not to orthodoxy, for example, because I think that the East loves mysterianism in a way that is too much for me. Like, um, but I'm actually like you. I, I think that that a Christian, especially, but a theist in general. Um, can can analyze all the objections when it comes to when it comes to the incoherence or the coherence of the concept of God, or the concept of the, of, incar- of incarnation or of revelation and so on. They can analyze them. They can see maybe some potential problems, and then they can all they can also see some flaws. Uh, for example, I don't buy any of the arguments who say that you cannot. I mean, you also have intra-Christian. Uh, um, intra-Christian objections for uh, some particular model of God, like you know, like theistic personalists attacking classical theists on various issues and so on, and vice versa. So a theist of any stripe can, I mean, he can analyze all the arguments that are posed. He can evaluate them, and he can, I think, come up with some solutions which would. Even if they would not explain everything in detail, like one cannot explain the Trinity, for example, um, in detail, but one can come up with the model of God, for example, the Augustinian model, or the model that is proposed by Kuhn's, and where he actually deals with the Trinity, like uh, like the, the relata of the Trinity are kind of qua relations, and you know, like it follows from simplicity and so on. Uh, okay, there is still a mystery as to we will never figure it out because we are not God. I mean, I, I don't know how it is to be an antelope. I can only imagine that. I can analyze an antelope. I can come up with a, with a complete coherent biological picture of an antelope. I can come up with a philosophical picture about antelopes or about dogs or about stones. I don't know how, okay, I know how it is to feel. I mean, you cannot feel like a stone, but I don't know how it is to be a dog, for example. That's the same way as I don't know how to how it is to be God. It is completely incomprehensible in this way. But the conception of God is a different thing, and one can analyze uh, concepts, different models of God, see if they have some metaphysical problems or not, and evaluate all the objections. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look into some of those objections because I want, sort of want to dive into free will before we go into uh, Christianity. Uh, okay, so okay, let's talk about um, God being the the I guess the the attributes of God that you would agree you would ha- and how you would define him, right? Like probably because you're a Christian, you would assign like personal uh, 
all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, I guess, eternal, uh, all the other attributes that classical theism attributes to God. Would you also add that to God? Yeah, I mean, I conceive of myself as a classical theist, but I am the only the only thing I'm not convinced when it comes to classical theism, or the only the only problematic attribute I see when it comes to traditional stripes of classical theism, especially Thomism, is absolute divine simplicity. I am actually in favor of a kind of divine unity, as proposed by Timothy O'Connor. Uh, one can read up his papers for free in, on his website. Um, so where I pose that there is a kind of unity in God, which is a kind of unity that just falls a short of full absolute simplicity. And the reason I don't like simplicity, uh, uh, divine simplicity, is because I'm not actually kind of convinced by all the answers to that theists usually gave. Give, I mean, Tomaszewski or Stephen Nemesh and so on, like uh, that gave uh, to the objection of um, to, the, to those modal objections, you know, um, when it comes to um, divine simplicity. But all in all, yeah, I mean, I. Think that God is timeless. I'm not in the camp of Mullins and the rest. I don't think that he's sempiternal or something like that. I think that there are, I mean, I, I think that, for example, Craig's view is incoherent. But I think that those other views, uh, like Swinburne's, Mullins, uh, and so on, from Wachter's, of a sempiternal deity, they are coherent, but I am not kind of drawn. I don't see why I should. I mean, should accept them. So yeah, I think that God is timeless. He is. He has maximal power, maximal knowledge, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about um, free will here, because uh, okay, um, well, it, let's say say I guess let's uh, and free will sort of dives into the problem of evil too, right? And um, this is I think some. Atheists actually really consider this as a detrimental objection, as as you would define it. But okay, let's. How how would you attempt to sort of, uh, I guess, like answer the problem of evil? And I know that there might be some things that you cannot fully uh, explain in terms of of God's uh, tr like uh, plan or ultimate uh, desire for everyone. But, uh, but what? How would you? Uh, present your theodicy. Yeah, I mean, um, this this is, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm just a lay person. I'm not a philosopher as such. I mean, but I I tend to be in the camp of what is usually called skeptical theism. I mean, I don't like the view, I like the label, uh, but it is usually called that. I would actually first and foremost um, promote so to say, the works of, especially of um, Daniel um, Howard Snyder. He has an Academia Edu page, where can, one can uh, read his works for free. Uh, also, Michael Ria, and I'm not sure if Press is also a skeptical theist in, when it comes to the problem of evil. I guess he is. In a way, so um, my, my, my view would be that uh, because, uh, I mean, because we are talking about a rational being, and not only a rational being as you and me, but a being that um, knows every kind of, I mean, that is completely limitless in his knowledge um, when it comes to all the configurations reality can achieve. Um, we are talking about a being that, that we cannot 
we cannot make some like statistical predictions. No, can we actually say that uh, that such a being would actually maximize all the good in the world? I mean, also Rob Koons has a nice paper of, uh, about uh, God and maximization of evil and good and so on. Like you should also read it on his webpage. So my general point would be that uh, we uh, that we that the atheist uh, cannot provide a good reason as to why God uh, cannot simply morally cannot. I'm not saying in, in a way or in a metaphysical, but in a moral way cannot um, cannot in a way allow evil. Um, simply because we cannot actually we simply cannot comprehend. Um, all the reasons he may have, because he's an un unlimitless mind, we are limitless minds, and you know where that goes. But also, I mean, we can have some general ideas about why would that be so. Uh, so I, I think I am kind of convinced that when it comes to human evils, uh, also evils that are done by other humans and so on, they, uh, this kind of allowance needs to take place in order for us to be completely free, and our freedom as rational agents is, in a way, um, a good that simply, in a way, outweighs all other goods. Um, also, when it comes to um, the problem of suffering, for example, I mean, theists usually always kind of, it's kind of irritating, theists usually always focus on the problem when it comes to the moral actions of other agents. But, I mean, the main problem, I think, is why is there death? Why is there corruption? Why is there um, suffering, medical, uh, detrimental medical conditions, and so on, and so on. Um, as a Christian, I would say because of the fall, so I would, in a way, um, f trace all the evil, trace it back, to a particular morally, morally relevant point, and that's, you know, in the Garden of Eden and so on. But also, um, if I were not a Christian, I would then embrace this more of a skeptical view and kind of throw it back to the atheist, like, okay, um, you only gave, give me, like, it, we would not expect for God to allow this kind of suffering and so on, but we actually kind of don't know. Is there any good reason? There might be. Also, uh, as a Christian, I would say that um, you know, if you if you have if you have um, a theological picture uh, of reality, especially if you are a universalist, I'm not myself, but um, you know that the ultimate telos, the ultimate potential outcome of um, of the life of a human being, can be ultimate bliss. We don't know uh, what this is. I mean, we don't know qualitatively what this may entail. But in a way, uh, as I think it was Saint Therese of Avila, she said that you know, um, if you, in a way, if you taste heaven, uh, all of this, like all of this, all of your life, all of the suffering you had, and so on, it feels like just a night in a bad hotel or something like that. So I mean. I cannot give my, I mean, <laughs> we would need to have a talk for about five to six hours if I would actually get, go point by point all of those uh, issues that are relevant for theodicy. But I, I, my point is just that, that we can either embrace a skeptical theism 
uh, as Howard Snyder, uh, Snyder sorry, um, or Pross or Michael Rea uh, have developed in their works. And I really, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm promoting them, but really they're, they're, they're really good. Uh, they are a really good rit literature. Uh, also, but then we can also, as Christians, come back to all of those theological issues, like why is there evil as such? Is evil conquered? Will it be conquered? Is there, and I mean, I mean, as a naturalist, um, all the suffering in my life, all, all the suffering that other beings had in their own life, it can be explained by evolutionary processes and so on, but there is actually no meaning in this. Yeah, sure, there's kind of a global meaning, like, you know, it enhances uh, ev the evolutionary process and so on, but, you know, as a theist, at least as a Christian, I can see a kind of meaning in all of this, you know? I don't know if I would, I, I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't see it in atheism as such. So, yeah, I mean, my, my general view is either skeptical theism or a kind of a broader Christian perspective. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that... Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, then let's Because look into... Because without all the details, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of... Let's look into, <laughs> I guess, like, from classical theism to Christianity, what got you there? Or like, well, I guess I, I would predict that it's uh, Christ's resurrection and the... the yeah, and, sure, sure. And <laughs> the, the Bible's um, historical reliability. Sure, yeah. I mean, I actually don't know what, what kind of, except for maybe personal experience, what kind of argument would somebody, what kind of argument would somebody find persuasive if it were not, I mean, for Christianity as such, not for theism, for Christianity in particular, if it were not um, like uh, a conviction that Jesus really rose from the dead. Like... I myself um, have doubts about, you know, about Mormonism or about Islam, for example. They both are, in a way, theistic. Um, but I don't see that theism leads me to a particular religion. I have to investigate all the religions, at le religions, at least those that I see kind of relevant, uh, and then figure it out. Like everybody, like it's it's something that everybody has to do. Uh, or at least if you don't have a kind of personal experience and so on. I didn't have it like. I, I really I really started to see if the gospels as historical as primal sources are reliant. And there are there's a there are so many arguments for why they are not and for why they are. And there are many I mean this is a whole debate. You can just up look up all the debates with Ehrman, for example, with Ehrman and Tim McGrew and so on, all those issues. But uh, then again, I mean, I, when, I, when, I, when I was investigating all of those issues, uh, I was building on, for example, Brand Petrie or Lydia McGrew and their works. And I actually saw that, you know, um, all of the arguments uh, for the historical reliability of the Gospels as such, uh, for um, kind of the real encounters the disciples had with the reason Jesus and so on, they they seem to be historical because, I mean, the arguments in favor of their historicity, uh, in my opinion, overweight the arguments or the objections one can pose, uh, um, like kind of contradictions and so on, which can be actually accounted for in a way. Um, so, I mean, Lydia is doing this. I was actually 
I'm actually in contact with her quite a lot, and I'm, we discuss all those issues. Um, also, you know, it's it's kind of fitting. I mean, yeah, all those arguments are fine and well, but Christianity is kind of fitting when it comes to theism. Like, if you are a theist, you, in a way, I mean, what what is actually what differentiates a theist from a deist is the fact that God really does interact with the world. How does he do it? Um, it's kind of like the ultimate Christian. I see Christianity as a coherent worldview that kind of ultimately explains all of the issues we actually discussed, like. Um, like, I don't know, evil, why is there suffering, why is there death, and so on. Like, so, um, the case for Christianity would be like a case from, a historical case as such, and a case from fittingness, or beauty maybe, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, well how, how about like the, con the, the objections to Christ's resurrection, and especially on on the reliability of the Gospels, right, and the, and the, the accounts. How would you reconcile those? Yeah, I mean, there are many, like, you know, there are many contradictions proposed to, as to, like, uh, contradictions, intra-Gospel contradictions, contradictions with the historical data we have, uh, especially Luke's census, for example. It's, 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 it's a whole debate on this issue alone. Um, there are also some and they also, um, you, you, as you have to differentiate between uh, the objections when it comes to the reliability of the Gospels and also naturalistic proposals as to why why as why Christianity arose as a religious phenomenon and so on. Like they like how to account for the resurrection without embracing the resurrection and such. I mean, um, we we would need to. Would actually need to go like <laughs> into every kind of um, objection or to any kind of contradiction there is in order to see if it is a contradiction or if it is not. Can it be accounted? Or also, what kind of model do we have? How do we see um, um, the gospels? You know, like Lydia, for example, is and I myself shared this with with her. She's not an inerrantist in the sense that you know the gospel authors could have made errors. They could have had false beliefs, or they could actually, they actually, I think that there are some errors, especially when it comes to Matthew, but we would need to discuss this in more detail. Uh, but you know, um, if you have a model, you actually have to find out what the kind of model is the material suggesting to you. Like, Lydia has this kind of reportage model, like, that gospel witnesses actually, um, or the gospel writers, sorry, um, Actually, are the traditional writers like Luke was really a, really was a travel with Paul and Mark uh, was really um, a disciple of of Peter in Rome and so on. Um, like it is kind of like you have to evaluate all the objections one by one in order to see okay um, what to do with that. Also, how would you deal with those objections if they were uh, for example, applied to ancient secular literature. You know, there are, I, I see in many in many atheists, especially in Ehrman and, and Co., um, that they're actually kind of inconsistent in a way that they would they they raise some objections. I mean, they're really good objections, but they raise some objections that are 
trivial, for example, that one would never raise uh, for a secular text, like, I don't know, how many times something is mentioned, is it mentioned loud enough, is John's voice, is, is Jesus' voice in, uh, in, in John really the kind of Jesus would expect, and so on, like, all those trivial kind of objections, like, you are making a problem out of thin air, uh, you're doing something that you would not do if you were dealing with a secular text um, with secular prime source. Um, so yeah, I mean, you you, you, really, you really need to dig dig it up. Like you really need to, yeah, do the hard work of see seeing like, you know, are those objections valid? Are they not? Can we in a way like how persuasive are they actually? You know, like even if some of the even if some of those like even if for example there is a genuine contradiction. Is it kind of like devastating for the historical account as such, or is it maybe not? Also, when it comes to those naturalistic proposals, like uh, massive hallucinations, or like some other kinds of like like those like those alternatives that want to actually kind of propose a naturalistic way of looking at this uh, without embracing resurrection. Uh, can they be actually upheld? Uh, do, how, also, how probable are they? I, I mean, uh, you can you can also read in. Uh, I, I think Lydia and Tim McGrew wrote a whole paper. I mean, it's kind of like 70 pages long uh, about a Bayesian-styled argument for the resurrection, where they actually are uh, like looking into like, okay, how what's the probability of uh, I don't know uh, Matthew inventing this or that or Luke inventing this or that kind of thing or you know, and then you can kind of like see, okay, do those objections hold up or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next question I generally ask my Christian guests is that uh, what's your view on the on the old earth or I guess the creation narrative? What what uh, side do you take on on it? Yeah, I mean, I am I mean, I call myself an atheistic evolutionist, though this term has some baggage uh, associated with it. Um, I, I see Genesis as as a kind of a poem, like a poem written in a, in prose style. I also have some reasons for us for viewing it that way, uh, building on 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 like on the hermeneutics of Daniel um, Castellano and Brand Petrie. I think yeah, also as well. So. Um, I actually don't see it as kind of literal. I actually, I actually see some hints in the text itself, which uh, kind of suggest to us that the author didn't find them literal too. Uh, but then, I mean, as a Catholic, I have to embrace monogenism. I cannot be a polygenist. I do really have to believe in in a primordial uh, pair of humans from which. Uh, every other human on this planet is descended from, you know? So um, I kind of view it as, I'm actually following Dr. Uh, Bonnet, Bonnet, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, my theory is, is broadly speaking, an Aristotelian ensoulment theory. Like, you know, I, I myself see it as, uh, as we, as we start to, uh, as, as we actually, um, uh, encounter all all the data we have, we see that somewhere um, somewhere I think uh, Homo erectus 
I think. I think we are talking about Homo erectus. Uh, we can find in the population, in at least the major popula population of Homo erectus, signs of rationality. That would suggest to us that uh, indeed um, those were people. I mean, they are they, are, they were capable of abstract knowledge, and hence, from I think from a generally thomistic world worldview, uh, viewpoint, sorry, they have they are they have souls, like they are rational creatures. Hence, they have rational souls. I mean, souls in in a, in a relevant way for Christianity. So, yeah, I mean, um, they can have the same material constitution as I mean, Homo erectus and such. They can also be. They can also mating with other other kind of creatures who are not in a way metaphysically humans, but are biologically seen as humans, or at least human-like, humanoid. Uh, in a way, um, uh, and here is where we have all the genetic diversity and so on. Also, I would point out that um, Nicanor Austriaco, um, he actually, I, I, I actually, I think, I think that he is from the Philippines. If I'm not, if I'm, yeah, I, I think he is. Uh, he also had some work um, building on Chomsky as to. Uh, why language needs to evolve in just one individual? Or why, why would it be like this, this is also a kind of a piece of, of evidence that would point towards, uh, towards this view that, um, that rationality sprung from either one or two individuals. There are some problems in this, like there are some problems when it comes to uh, the genetic bottleneck. There also Lydia has done some work on this too, uh, but generally I'm actually on the evolution side. I think that one can coherently uh, believe that uh, that we, as a metaphysical species like human beings, like rational creatures, have emerged from a pair uh, without, and this belief doesn't entail that biologically we have emerged from a pair. You know, like I make this, I make this distinction, which is kind of crucial for every for everyone who wants to affirm uh, some kind like real monogenism without falling prey to all the um, issues in genetics and so on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I guess it, there, there are. That's a really complicated uh, topic. I guess. It is. But, but, but when it comes to, um, is it really, uh, I guess, essential for me to be a Christian to have like right beliefs in this? I would say no. Would you agree? Uh, sure. I mean, no, it isn't. Like, okay, if you are a Catholic, you have to be a monogenist. Like, but if you are a Christian as such, you don't have to be. Like, you have you have people like Swami Das, for example, who um, he has a view of Adam. He actually believes in literal Adam and Eve, but he doesn't believe that all humans descend from them. He has this kind of ancient temple uh, view of Adam and Eve as the pinnacle of human of human beings and so on but not as the literal not as the literal kind of like originating point of all humanity uh, so yeah you can be a Christian you don't have to embrace you, you, you can also I mean you can embrace a full-fledged evolutionary polygenetic model and be a Christian as such you have to deal a bit with Paul like Paul gives, gives us some hints that uh, like the new Adam like Christ being the new Adam and so on but 
there, there, are, there are ways to deal with this, uh, and I know many intelligent Christians who don't hold to monogenism and such, and who, are, who actually are full-fledged polygenist evolutionists. So yeah, yeah, you can be. You can also believe in, in, in a literal seven-day creation if you have good arguments, but the scientific and scriptural as to why this, why should anybody embrace this? So yeah. Uh -huh. Well, you know, when it comes to uh, coherence, right? What I generally think about it is that, you know, if you're going to ha have arguments for God in terms of the classical theist arguments, and then you're going to talk about that, and also you're going to this, I guess, hold a, a sort of a billion-year-old Earth and universe and billions of year years old universe and all of that, and and then when you have when you when it comes to theology. Right, specifically, uh, the, all, all the, everything in, in from Adam to to Jesus Christ and to eschatology. You know, I I guess that when it the philosophy that you hold has to also be coherent and corresponding to to your specific theology, right? Oh, well, yes, but you know, I mean. For example, the for example, my my favorite argument for existence of God for the existence of God would be a kind of a Leibnizian kind of modified Leibnizian contingency argument, for example. Uh, but even if you prefer a kind of Aristotelian argument, oh, the full-fledged Thomistic five ways and so on, like those deal with with issues uh, with issues of uh, metaphysics that are kind of and they are not actually so much relevant when it comes to theology. Like it's kind of like, like I mean, you can be you can be a theist based on all of those arguments and all of those streams of reasoning as such without being a Christian, without being religious as such. So I mean, we have to differentiate. I mean, uh, those two things. I mean, you can, yeah, sure. I mean, you cannot you cannot be a helomorphist and have some really nilly uh, um, conceptions of Adam, for example, or of Christ's humanity and of Christ's uh, divinity uh, that would contradict your own viewpoints about, for example, helomorphism. Uh, or you cannot actually, I mean, you have to be <laughs> kind of like, you know, kind of like coherent when it comes to this view, but broadly speaking, those issues are irrelevant for one another. Like, yeah, I mean, you can be just a mere theist without embracing any, and many of those metaphysical issues are kind of irrelevant when it comes to full-fledged theology. Yeah, in my humble opinion, so. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess like when it, um, I also think that um, when it comes to all the rational arguments and and metaphysical uh, inquiries into the ultimate truth, right, and discover and finding for ourselves whether or not there is a god. I I, I generally lean on actual uh, fideism, not 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 in a sense that I don't I don't see I I disagree I I ignore rationality altogether, rationality altogether, but more so on on that in terms of the nature of truth and and what you said about uh, experience right what it means to be uh, God or what what does it what does it mean to be an antelope basically I ref I'm referring to uh, phenomenology 
right? And 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 for me, you know, the the kind of truth that I'm that I'm experiencing, which is let's say I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit working in me, and that I'm also calling it some sort of assurance of my salvation and faith. I I would also generally actually f- f- call that evidence or but it, it might not be falsifiable or fall into the criteria of most analytic philosophers but w- let's say that I, I want to ask you this right that if if you it, if it, if someone actually proves to you rationally that god doesn't exist would you stop being a theist then well you know um I, I don't know if you remember when I when I started uh, talking about all of this. I said that faith is is a kind of gift. Like you know, I I'm, I'm not actually. I want to make like I want to find a kind of balance when it comes to faith and reason. I actually think that this is a great great issue in in Catholic theology as such. Um, you know, um, if I, I'm not. I'm not having. Uh, f- I'm not actually having faith in something I know is unreasonable. You know, but that doesn't mean that uh, I am just simply believing because of some rational grounds I have. Um, as I said, I mean, you. You know, you have people who who are. I mean, who are so much skeptical of even a thought version of the PSR, for example. Like, there is no argument you could ever make that would satisfy their skepticism. Does that mean that one should actually embrace their skepticism? Well, I don't think so. This is where we come back to, like, intuitions and kind of a priori principles and so on. Uh, You know, if somebody would actually come now and say, okay, I have this kind of, I have this argument which really, really proves that believing God is irrational, like completely irrational, or that, uh, that um, the concept of God you hold is contradictory. I would, I would then not believe either in this concept of God or in theism as such. So I do tend to this more rationalistic side. However, um, I'm actually... Um, I'm actually not kind of like making personal experiences irrelevant. Like if you really have, to, if you really do think that the Holy Spirit is leading you somewhere, like, okay, it's not falsifiable, I guess, uh, but it's actually not even intended to be falsifiable in a way. Uh, I think that you are justified to uh, to actually hold to those beliefs uh in case, so in case, those beliefs are not evidentially irrational, you know, like even if you don't can, if, if even if you cannot come up with, for example, take take Van Inwagen, like Van Inwagen is a Christian, uh, a Christian philosopher. Though I I always find him somewhere criticizing uh, various arguments. For the existence of God, you know, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like it's it's funny to I mean to see his name pop up in references and philosophical papers discussing, especially contingency arguments and so on. Uh, but so I mean, one can ask Van Inwagen, why does he actually believe? You know, like even if you even if all the arguments for God's existence fail, I mean, we 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 would need to <laughs> we need to talk about ten. 
20 hours about every uh, the arguments and why and why they don't fail or maybe don't fail and so on but you know even if they all fail um, that is not proof that theism is irrational as such I mean it's kind of like you know it reminds me of Platinga's model cosmo um, not sorry ontological argument where the sole point of his ontological argument is not that um, here is a really, really good reason you should believe in God, but that if you believe in God, you are rational to do so. Like you're not, you're not having an irrational belief. It's just that you cannot prove it in any way. You cannot have some axioms or proofs or I don't know arguments in favor of it. I mean, I disagree with Platinga. In that, I do think one can have good arguments for, or that at least point to God, um, you know. But until something is is not shown to be irrational, and if you have some experiences, religious experiences, um, then I think you are justified in in your belief. Um, though you cannot you cannot bring somebody else to believe in what you do. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess like one last question though, because you know, it it, it when it comes to what is actually justified belief, right? And and in terms of the PSR, the principle of sufficient reason, uh, would it isn't it really just you know subjective to the to how, how on what standard one sets for himself to to whether or not he could accept this belief as true or not. Oh, what what are the conditions here, and 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 how do you, how do you look at the PSR? Okay, so when it comes to this general epistemological question as to why what is justified belief, I mean, everything that is rationally coherent is justified. Now, what is rationally coherent? Anything that is that doesn't have some uh, that doesn't have some logical contradictions in it, or that has not some conceptual problems, for example. For example, I mean, this is just an example. I don't, wanna, I don't want to open a whole can of worms. For but for example, I was I was recently seeing um, this this debate with Opie and Luke, and I was kind of like thinking to myself, okay, Opie's Opie's proposal here is is really metaphysically problematic. I know of many other naturalistic proposals that are not, but this this one is really is. So I'm not seeing how OP is justified and to believe this. For example, I mean this is just an example. Yeah. So um, something in order to believe for a belief to be justified, it needs to be. I mean first and foremost, coherent. It needs not be logically nor metaphysically problematic, um, and there has to be some reason as to why one believes that what he does. Um, now, as we said, you could have just a subjective personal reason, but you know, uh, you cannot falsify your claim that the Holy Spirit is working in you, in you. But I actually cannot, hmm, I actually cannot come up with any any counter argument as to no, you're just imagining it yourself and so on. No, I mean, I, I, I'm not. I would not be justified to believe in this because of your experience, but. I'm not actually sure that you are not justified in your belief um, if you experience such, thi- such things. When it comes to the PSR in general, um, as I said, there are people who are completely skeptical about it. Uh, I myself, I mean, 
I myself have the has, again have the intuition that every everything in reality needs to have a reason for why it is as it is. Um, it either is something it either has to do something has to do something with um, the intrinsic nature of a thing. You know, like, and then th those are those would be like metaphysically necessary facts uh, about beings who either are contingent or necessary, uh, or it has to do like this reason as to why those facts are like like they are, why those things are like that like they are, have to do with other things that explain them. Um, you, I mean, there this intuition isn't isn't just like floating free in my mind it's grounded in in like in my both in my empirical investigations of the world like what i see what i encounter what what phenomena do i actually uh, have, i am in contact with and what can i infer from all of this and some rational principles as to okay is there a good argument for there uh, being brute facts can there be brute facts as such um, or what is the metaphysical cost like if you if you if you don't embrace the PSR then you actually have a good amount a good amount of metaphysical costs uh, Pross is discussing them in, in his paper on the Leibnizian cosmological argument, and is I think it's in the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology. I'm not sure. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, to say more. That's awesome. Uh, actually, uh, that's a good answer. And um, uh, okay, one last question, bro. Uh, and I, I want to talk. I want to talk about more and in, in dive into. Uh, I guess like an ex into the sort of a meaning of life i guess sort um uh an excess existentialism derived from your christian perspective and how should and what and basically how should a christian behave because you are a catholic right so in, in general why are we here and how are we what is our end goal as a human as a human society are we just here to wait for christ to return or how should we deal amongst ourselves? Yeah, I mean, those uh, <laughs> those questions are as ancient as as human as humanities. I mean, you know, um, as somebody who is coming from uh, who's coming to Christianity from, for example, from Buddhism, that actually states that there is no meaning to, towards life, and the only meaning one should actually have in one's life is to annihilate oneself, to actually kind of like go out of existence of this cycle of suffering and so on. Uh, as a Christian, I, I, I think that this is completely, it's, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I see my life, I see myself as having some value. My existence as being, uh, as at least having more value than the existence of, I don't know, of my bed or of my car and so on. Also, I see this value in other, hum other human beings precisely because they are the kind of beings that they are. Uh, because they are beings that have the capacity, the intrinsic capacity to think, to feel, to love as such. Uh, so, I mean, it is, I mean, we should not, as Christians, be in a way like okay as you said like just sitting around and waiting for Jesus to come we are actually here to build uh, the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven on earth we are the bricks that um, I think I think that Christ will use 
when actually, I mean, we are the ones, we are the vehicles through which Christ is working in the world. Um, our meaning should consist in having, having, living the life that is guided by natural reason. I mean, I, I base my ethical conceptions. Wait, but isn't on, isn't evangelism just the 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 only reason why we're still here? If you're no, a Catholic, so. no, I don't. I mean, evangelism plays a plays a, yeah plays an important role in all of this, but it's not real. I mean, it's not the only fact. I mean, it's not that. Jesus will come, will return sooner if he actually stop evangelizing. Right? Um, it is not. It is not actually that. It is kind of like building a better world in accordance with the natural law and in accordance with uh, God's revelation. Now that entails evangelism to some extent, uh, but it's not like it's not evangelism is not. Yeah, I mean it is in, in a way it is. The end goal to bring everybody to Christ, in accordance to their own like. If wait, they are wait. So, to, so are you saying yeah. that we are all, all, all Christians on earth are sorta uh, have the responsibility to establish God's kingdom here, which means that everybody has the ideal utopia that we that a Catholic has in mind is a is a Christian and uh, global civilization. That will end. Um, no. <laughs> no, actually, I would say that I would say that uh, any any Catholic who has uh, who has just a bit of a brain would actually see that any conception of a utopia wasn't in a way <laughs> was actually never going well in history. So no, I mean uh, it's not in a way that we are building something like we are making an idealized world. When I say that we are here to um, in a way to bring to build God's kingdom. We have to start with ourselves. We are here actually to be penitent, to try to live a good life, to try to establish kind of natural happiness and supernatural happiness as such. And we are actually, I mean, we are not here to build an, an utopia because in my opinion, there is no utopia. You cannot have a utopia based on fallible human beings. It's, it's, it's simply impossible, even if they were all Catholic and so on. I mean, yeah, sure, as a Catholic, I think the world would be better in a way if everybody would be a Catholic, but it would not be a perfect world. You know, I mean, in the medieval period, everyone was a Catholic to some extent, but you still had, I mean, the the criminal rates were much much higher than than today. So um, we actually have to focus on our inner life. I mean, um, mm -hmm. it's not just Catholics who think who think that. Wait, wait, Orthodox. okay. Here, here's here's how I uh, interpret what you're saying. Then that um, okay, evangel evangelism is a huge role in it, but we actually evangelize and share Christ's uh, salvation to pe to people because it uh, I guess it it sources out from from that we as human beings we're born in this earth to live a good life for Christ and glorify Him for, uh, with our personal life, and that includes evangelism. And we die, and that's it. You know, we we're just here to live a good life, so that uh, when we die, we can get to heaven. Is that sort of it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we should not actually. Yeah, okay. This actually, this is actually a fine, kind of like you know, it is it is fine in the you know in the way you said it. It's kind of like, I mean, to get to heaven. What does that actually mean? Like. In my opinion, and I actually, I actually am drawing this from um, 
a kind of like orthodox perspective, uh, heaven as such is also a process. Like it is a never-ending process of love. Like you are actually you're actually embracing the eternal God, but you cannot you can never do that as such in, a, in an ontological way. So you are always in a way processing blissfulness and love in a higher and higher and a higher way. Um, hence, I see it as I see our current earthly life here as a way of a kind of like I don't know as a kind of ground from which we start. Um, our evangelization, our efforts in the world are nothing more than the manifestation of our inner life that we have. You know, like I cannot, like a saint cannot hold Christ into himself if he is in contact with other human beings. If he lives with them, then he has to bring Christ in some way, some shape or form to them. Uh, but you know, um, our life here is just the beginning. It's just the ground from which we start. As if you are an atheist, then I guess your life is just that. What it is, you have to have a good life, have fun, but not suffer as much. I mean, and that's all. But as a Christian, we actually have a mission, a mission that is uh, in a way that cons that consists of your uh, making um, a good, having a good inner life and trying to actually understand the biggest mystery of all, namely God himself. Mm -hmm. So the, those are our, so the, our three missions, like so be, have a good inner life, uh, know God, at, at least attempt to know God fully, and then evangelize, yeah. right? Right, yeah. Simple. I okay. mean, those are all manifestations of, of the one single, you know, of the one single love for God that a Christian should have, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, one last thing and, uh, and I'm done uh, because this uh, interview has been really awesome, man. Yeah, okay, with that said, if that is the pursuit of a Christian or from your Catholic perspective, like in this life, that this is the meaning of my life to, to love God and love my neighbor, you know, just to be a really a person of love, Right, so um, how how should I then dive into politics? Uh, because I, I know for a fact that um, if if love is my my ultimate goal in on earth, then my 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 I guess my actions and my pursuit in terms of society and, and culture and, and politics is to at least better the the conditions of everyone else. Right? What, what, how would you put it? Yeah. Well, uh, first and foremost, I would I would make sure that you don't have an idealized view of what you can establish. Like everyone who is coming into politics and who has this idea that his views are the best and that the world would be uh, would be the best if everyone embraces his ideas, he's kind of like he will fail even before he actually starts. Uh, we're in politics is here for um, you know like it's it's a kind of an Arist I have a kind of an Aristotelian vision of politics. Like it's here to to make. Uh, I mean, we are social animals. Uh, we are we are coming into being in a society. We are dying in a society. Uh, we depend in some way on society and we are, it's actually like, also, I mean, Kuhn's also wrote about this. It's, it's a way, politics is a way to establish a balance between personal interests, individual interests, that in, in a way ground 
the collective interest and the balance between a collective interest that in a way is also like grounded in personal individual interests. So if you are as a Christian, if you are going to, your mission should be to make this world better. How do you do that? Well, uh, in a way you should follow, you should follow your Christian faith. Uh, you should, you should actually, your politics should be, as I said, the manifestation of your inner life. You should bring Christ in a way to the political sphere. Um, what way will that be? I don't know. You have Catholics who are socialists, who are distributists, who are capitalists. They all share the same. Uh, they all share the same kind of principles, ethical principles. But they see they have a different conception as to what is the best way to manifest those principles in action. So um, yeah, I mean it's. I mean you should always you should always keep in mind that no no utopia. Uh, will ever exist without Christ as such, uh, without his second coming, as such, like before his second coming. Uh, but you are here to strive to make the world better, in a way. Uh, what this way will be, you have to figure out with reason. Is it going to be, like, what principles, what economic principles, what um, principles of, uh, of law will you, like, introduce to society? What ideas do you have to make the world kind of better? It also depends heavily on the culture you live, the environment you live. Like, I have, like, um, my, my society has a different set of problems than your society and different levels and different aspects and so on. We all share... Like, um, as Catholics, we're living all over the world. As Christians, as such, we all share some principles in common, and those principles will manifest in a different way, depending on our reasoning and depending on where we live. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, awesome. And um, so, w what are your plans for, for your life, bro? Like, how are you going to manifest uh, God's love in your life and, and, I guess, focus on becoming and bettering your inner life? What's the plan? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm striving to be, I'm striving to be a good husband, um, God willingly a good father, uh, first and foremost. Like those are those are the people God give God give to me, to actually. I mean, <laughs> those 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 people like my wife, my children, my family, my friends, are the ones that I have the biggest responsibility for. Um, also. Um, Having a better life of prayer, of also and also I, I think of um, of rational inquiry as such as well. Like uh, even studying more deeper some issues pertaining to my faith that are relevant in some way for my faith, and well trying to make Christ a relevant factor in everything I do. Um, some some sometimes it will be it will be fine sometimes i'll not succeed in this well that's life so yeah awesome okay well ante uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast man you've been a yeah it awesome was a pleasure guest. yeah awesome. thank you thank you okay okay bye so that's the end of it thanks for tuning in guys this is your host elmo Ador jr and Thank you for listening in and please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks.
It's the holidays, which usually means employing your surprise face. But winter-winning scratchers are loaded with $500 prizes, so there's always a surprise. Unlike the 27th snowflake ornament from Grandma. Play along with holiday scratchers from the Virginia Lottery at a retailer near you. For odds and more information, visit valottery.com. Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately.